Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless. I'm your host, Carly, and I'll be your guide on this journey from consciousness to cluelessness and back around again. Today on the podcast, I talk to Roxy Furman. Roxy is a wildlife presenter and filmmaker. She's a zoologist. She owns a zero-waste marketplace. She's a climate activist, and her Instagram is full of beautiful photography of animals. We had great conversation about how we need to make systematic change in order to make change on a global scale, how we need to own our privilege in that, and also how we need to take care of ourselves. Let's dive in. So thank you for joining me and and being willing to be on the podcast today. That's all right. Thanks for having me. Um, So the question I like to start with, the podcast is called Consciously Clueless. And for me, that meant creating a place to explore everything that comes with trying to live this conscious life and be more aware of things. And then those moments where you just feel completely clueless and like you have no idea what's going on and everything in between. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm curious where you feel like you're at right now on that kind of scale from consciousness to cluelessness, maybe today, maybe this moment. (laughs) I feel like at the moment I'm like in, towards the clueless end. I feel like <laughs> kind of a year ago, I thought I was like, I knew what track I was on and I knew what mm. I was doing. thought what I was doing to help. Um, but then I guess over the past couple of months, I've been really like rethinking everything and thinking about like how much of an impact is this actually having? Mm. Kind of like thinking about ways that we can, move away from kind of that Instagram conscious lifestyle to a more like actual global conscious lifestyle. Mm. What has made that shift in thinking for you? I guess like everything that's been going on in the world from coronavirus, which mm-hmm. is everyone's way of life at the moment. Mm-hmm. I guess that time has kind of made us all like kind of sit back and reflect on things and then going on from that, the whole Black Lives Matter movement mm-hmm. and the refugee crisis and all of the refugees kind of come over to England and some people's responses to that over here mm. were like shocking and the oil spill and the volcanic eruption in Sumatra. And I just feel like there's been like just this series of like major, major events that normally in like the busyness of life, we kind of ignore because we're in the position where we can ignore them. <laughs> But now, like when you're sitting around with not that normal busyness, these things kind of hit you harder and you realize like, wow, we are in such a privileged position. And how can we actually make a difference that's going to make a difference to everyone, not just like here in the Western world where we have things pretty good anyway? (laughs) Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think something that you said earlier, the Instagram conscious versus global conscious is mm-hmm. something I've been thinking a lot about too. And almost how how you can do both or like where is the line of kind of, I don't want to say do it all, but, you know, tap into the everyday change mm-hmm. and how that's connected to the global change. And I don't have a perfect answer, but it's <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> but it's <laughs> definitely something to be thoughtful of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if you're in the position where you can like put your waste into a jar for a day, great. But 
be mindful of the fact that not everyone can do that and kind of being careful of like the messaging that you're putting out there as well. Yeah. Yeah. To not shame uh, for not being able to do those things. Mm. I think for me specifically, a lot of what I've learned and a lot of that is in due to the people I've talked to on this podcast is the different perspective I had initially being vegan and the position of privilege that I came from Mm -hmm. and just wanted everyone to get on board. And I could not see why people would not. I just Mm -hmm. couldn't understand. Like, it's easy. What are you talking about? I don't know if you had that experience becoming vegan as well, kind of having that moment where you were like, why isn't everyone doing this? Yeah. I mean, part of me feels like that. There's some people where I think, why aren't you doing this? But not globally. Like I was speaking to a lady who helps me with my business and she lives in, I can't remember where, but a town in India. Mm -hmm. And she was saying to me the other day that a carton of oat milk costs the equivalent of $9 for oat milk. Like she can't afford that. I can't, I couldn't afford that. If that right. was the of it here. Like that is not affordable. That's not a lifestyle that people can live. And she was like, it's just not a viable option over here for me to be drinking that milk because that's not the system that's in place where she lives. And kind of like realizing stuff like that makes you realize we really are so lucky to be able to go and just get oat milk for the same price that we can milk from cows. And that's like, a massive privilege to be able to even have that choice in our diet obviously I still don't agree that animals should be farmed and suffering for like human enjoyment but in some places it's not for human enjoyment because it's not a choice right that you don't have any other option just realizing stuff like that really like hits hard and makes you kind of step take a step back and really think about the whole movement Mm-hmm, definitely. And I think what you're getting at is the global piece, mm-hmm. you know? So it's one thing for me to talk to my community or my friends about being vegan. And there are some, like you said, some where you're like, okay, you could totally do this and you should, and that would be great. Um, but the systematic issues, that global piece, that taking a step back and saying, okay, this is more systematic about food and food injustice and prices and inflation. And sometimes it's overwhelming, but then at other times it feels comforting to kind of like understand it a little more, Mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I also think it's great to kind of like take those moments where you do take a step back and think like, wow, I really have no idea. (laughs) And like, I really need to keep learning and keep Mm -hmm discovering all aspects of this topic to like properly be an advocate for animal activism or climate activism or human rights or whatever it may be. Yeah. And to openly talk about it. If you have a platform, I think those are the people I really love following when they're like, Oh my gosh, I learned this new thing that I had no idea. And it's really important. And I was wrong, or I just didn't have all the information or whatever it is, or I just learned something new and I think it's valuable and I want to share it. Mm-hmm. That, I agree I think, as well. Um, so taking a step back on Instagram, you are the vegan zoologist. <laughs> yes. Right. Um, so tell me a little bit about zoology. Okay. Um, so with zoology, I guess the question everyone always asks is like, 
does that mean you work in a zoo? No, I don't <laughs> work in a zoo. Um, zoology is basically just the study of animals and humans are included in that, obviously. Mm, mm-hmm. um, basically, biology was my favourite science, but I found plants boring, which is now crazy because I'm houseplant obsessed. <laughs> but I didn't want to study them. Um, so zoology is literally just biology, but you don't have to do the plant modules. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah. <laughs> is that what got you into doing like wildlife filmmaking and photography? Was that kind of the insert into that world? Yeah, so I started, well, first of all, I started volunteering with loads of different NGOs and rescue centers. Um, And then I went to university and did a four year degree in zoology. Um, And then after zoology, I started getting into presenting and bought my first camera. And then I kind of realized like the power of photography because like anyone, no matter what your background can see an image or can watch a video and they can understand it and like connect to it Mm. on a level. But in the science field, there are very few people you can just give a paper to straight away and they'll understand it. Even me with a science degree, I have to read papers like four or five times, annotate them, pull parts out. It's just not digestible. So photography was a way for me to kind of like bridge the gap between like something everyone could enjoy, but then that information that's kind of really important to get out there and just kind of make people fall in love with animals and then want them to help save them. Because if you love something, you can't hurt it. Mm. So that's like my goal with my photography and filmmaking work. The photography you have on your social media is gorgeous. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely gorgeous. I mean that. It was it was beautiful. I was kind of scrolling through and looking back at stuff today before this um, interview. And some of those pictures are just like, you're right. If you love something, you're, it's just so hard not to connect to those images, which is really lovely, which is also a really beautiful way to look at it too, that kind of bridging the gap, the universal language. So what kind of filmmaking have you done? Um, So about a year ago now, I went back to university to do a master's in wildlife filmmaking. Um, And I did that at the University of Bristol, which is a course run in conjunction with the BBC NHU. Um, But the stories I like to tell are basically about either animals or animals stroke communities that are maybe underrepresented in filmmaking. like not the big five that you see all the time, but like animals that we don't typically give a voice to or give that time on screen. Mm -hmm. Um, And also my big goal is often watch a film and it has a massive impact, but there's no like direct call to action after watching that. Mm. And that moment in that is when you're like super emotionally invested in that subject and you're really like, I want to make a difference. But then the film ends and you're like, well, what can I do? So I really want to like partner up with organizations in whatever film I'm making and make sure that there's a follow-up through any of the stories. Um, I mean, everything's kind of been put on hold at the moment, um, but I'm waiting to go to Hungary um, to film with the rescue that I got my dog from um, to make a film about the killing stations across Eastern Europe and basically like the unethical treatment of dogs. Um, And I'm also waiting to get over to Sumatra to make a film about human wildlife conflict and 
kind of living as a woman in a world where you're surrounded by tigers and elephants that oh, wow. in your village and your partner and your family's livelihood and kind of finding ways to deal with that um, in a way which but works for the people and for the animals as well. Oh, wow. Both of those sound amazing. Yes. <laughs> but like you said, put on hold mm-hmm. temporarily. Yes. <laughs> Have you always loved animals? Like I feel like a lot of people in these types of fields tell stories about growing up and being young and having that love really early on. Yeah, I mean, there was never really anything else for me other than oh. I want to work with animals. I didn't know kind of what direction I wanted to go with working with animals, but animals were kind of always my passion. Um, but I was six when I first said to my parents, I want to be a conservationist. Um, We always like saved up to go on these crazy family holidays to see animals, which was amazing and super lucky that I had parents that supported that and also had an interest in that. And when I was six, we went on a family holiday to Bird Island, which is Mm -hmm. in the safe house. They do a lot of work with sea turtles there. Um, and they basically release hatchlings from the nest and take them down to the ocean because it then cuts out that journey that they'd have to do where they'd be munched up by crabs or seabirds or other animals. And we went down to the beach to do this, and the conservationist, he was called Robbie, and he was like, hey, everyone wait here. I'll go and get the hatchlings and bring them back. And like little six-year-old me just (laughs) kicked off my shoes and ran after him, and he picked me up, put me on his shoulders, and he took me with him. And that was kind of the moment where I was like, okay, I want to do this. You've inspired me. (laughs) Oh, that's so beautiful that he was like, I recognize this passion in her. And he's still there. I've like messaged him since like, you genuinely did change my life. And I'm now doing what I said I was going to do. Oh, it's so lovely that you told him that too. Because I feel like so many of those moments probably happen and they go untold. Yeah. And then like 20 years later, it just come back up in an email and he was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Oh, that's so sweet. That's so sweet. Is that connected to being a climate activist? So like your climate activism, where did that come from? And was it connected to your work with animals? And I'm assuming. (laughs) Kind of during my undergrad degree, our lecturers were always going on about the six mass extinction event and mm. overfishing and what we're doing to animals and what we're doing blah 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 but they never actually like were straight up and got to the point about okay this is because of how we're living our lives and we need to change it was always just this like wishy-washy thing obviously because that's what they're told to teach us because that's what the systems are in place like no fault of theirs but I was like, why is no one talking about what the actual problem is? Like, why is this such a taboo to be like, we need to change? Why can't we just hold up our hands and say, okay, we're wrong, we need to change? Um, so that's kind of when I started learning more about veganism and climate activism and basically like ways that we can get involved to actually create change and use our voices and basically step up if we're in the position to do that. So both veganism and climate activism came from that undergrad experience? Yeah. Were there any specific insert points for either of those passions? Um, well, I was brought up vegetarian, 
Um, so we're kind of always mindful about like our treatment of animals. Um, but then kind of at university, I was like, well, if I'm calling myself a conservationist, I feel like I'm not doing enough. If I'm not doing everything that I possibly can in my lifestyle to kind of live in a way which supports that. And it was in a lecture and I went into the lab and it was for a dissection. There was literally like 70 chickens on these lab benches, like a chicken per person to dissect, bearing in mind, like we weren't doing any form of research. We weren't going to come up with a cure for cancer or whatever. This was just like a practical to do in for fun. Um, And I was like, I'm not doing that. And the lecturers were like, well, you you have to do it. You're doing a test on this. If you don't do it, you can't pass the module. I was like, yeah, I can. I'm going to go watch it on YouTube. I'm not doing that. Like, this is wrong. (laughs) I went away, watched on YouTube, came back and did the test. And I got full marks on the test. And I was like, see, you don't need to cut up animals to do this. (laughs) And then I was like, wow, actually, like, if you can, like, put your foot down and take a stand with one thing, and show someone like, okay, things can change them. How can that expand to other areas of your life? So then was that the moment after the chicken incident that you're like, I think I'm yeah. vegan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, or, okay, this is enough. <laughs> yeah. That sounds pretty jarring. Mm-hmm. Um, so how is being vegan in the UK? Cause I've, I've talked to somebody else that was in the UK and I think in the US, you know, in the last couple of years, there's been like this dramatic uptick and that has a lot to do with new foods and I think better marketing in like the vegan world too. And, you know, documentaries and all of that. So what is it like in the UK? Yeah, it's definitely got a lot easier. Like even being vegetarian as a child, like doctors would give my mum leaflets like about why your kids need meat and telling her like she was a bad parent and all of this oh, stuff wow and we'd go to friends houses after school and my mum would say oh by the way you know they're vegetarian if you're gonna do dinner they'd be like what like how do we feed your child and my mum was like it's fine just make the same meal but just take off the meat part for her like that's all you need to change she'll eat vegetables or pasta or whatever um Whereas now, like in the past couple of years, like at pretty much everywhere you go, there's a vegan option, there's a vegetarian option, there's like mm-hmm. a whole aisle now in the supermarket and people's mindsets has also mass- massively changed. Maybe not, not quite there with veganism, it's still a bit like, oh, you're vegan, are you? <laughs> but like vegetarian is like so accepted here. Right. And I feel like that same change will happen with veganism because even when I was first vegan, I had no friends that were. And now I have like a whole community of friends that are vegan. And even my friends who aren't vegan, they're very much interested and open to it and open to learning about it as well, which I think that's kind of like the biggest change is just like being open to it. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. Just being able to see it. Oh, okay. I've, I've heard about this enough. I think I can at least entertain a conversation. Mm-hmm. about and it not just like shut you down either like, yeah so then want to learn right so after becoming vegan and that is when if I'm understanding right you kind of started digging more into the environmental aspect as well because for me I went vegan first for my health 
And then it was like this domino effect of all the other things I became passionate about. But I truly was so ignorant to the intersection of food and environment before that. Yeah, mine was mainly for environment. I mean, also because of animal reasons, but kind of realizing what we're doing to the planet was kind of my main reason for making the switch. And then I guess you only need one reason and then you start becoming passionate about it. And then everything you're like, oh, this is so good for your health or your sleep or your whatever. And you just kind of get so into it and it becomes all of the reasons. Yes. Was it hard at first not having a community of vegans? Like, was there any pushback from family or friends or confusion? I mean, I guess you're vegetarian, so you're, but still, even in that world, sometimes there's some polarization as well. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the most difficult thing was with family, actually, which should be the most supportive um, mm. place. Not with my like close family. My mum actually went vegan at the same time. So she was like, she is super supportive and mm-hmm. super, super willing to learn and change. But like aunts and uncles and grandparents would kind of always make comments. And most of the time I just tried to ignore it. And then they'd kind of prod and prod and prod. And then I just drop a little fact. <laughs> and they'd be like, oh, okay. She does that. She knows what she's talking about. <laughs> maybe we will leave that one there um and that kind of helped because then I realized like if I am going to do this I am going to be questioned Mm. and having that background I can really use to my advantage and kind of like learn all of the common arguments like oh we have canines no we don't have canines but even if we did every single mammal on earth does pretty much and hippos have the biggest canines and they're vegan It's like making sure I was like clued up the way you get your protein from, where you get amigas from. Like, so if I got any of those questions, I could like answer it and answer it scientifically. Um, and that kind of helped with any backlash that I got. And that was kind of my way of then dealing with it. Yeah, I think that's a really good strategy to take because it's so easy when you're passionate about something and you're being questioned to just go to a really emotional place which I know has happened to me, but what you're describing is really just saying like, okay, I understand. Here are some facts. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's probably an easier approach. Mm -hmm. Um, so from your Instagram, there was one picture that like stuck out to me. You were holding a sign and it said, our planet cannot sustain this system. Um, and that like, just that phrase alone, I read it a couple times because I was like, yeah, this planet cannot sustain the system. Um, Could you talk a little more about that and like what that means for you? Um, Yeah, so at the time that was at an Extinction Rebellion protest, which Mm, was something that I was involved a lot in. um, And I actually used to do the photography for them. Oh, wow. uh, The Instagram. Um, And basically just the realization that yeah you can change your diet yeah you can go plastic free zero waste you can shop secondhand whatever you can stop flying so much but if the systems don't change we're not going to save the planet like that is it's who we're voting for the people that are in power the systems that are kind of filtering down through absolutely everything we do even if you don't realize it that's what needs to change and there's Obviously, if you are in the position to make lifestyle changes alongside that, like, great. I'm not saying don't still do that. Like, I still try to reduce my waste. I still try to right. stop using 
fantastic but the bigger picture is more important and if you can do both sides of the things if you can change your lifestyle and vote and push for systemic change do both but if you can only do one of them push for systemic change because that's really what's gonna make change for everyone not just us as individuals or not just us in the western world who aren't yet feeling the impacts of climate right. change so what is you mentioned voting what else do you think people can do because i think that's a common that's more and more of a common thread lately of like yeah we need to change the system but i think especially if that's a new concept to you it's a little overwhelming to be like okay how so you mentioned voting what else would you put on that list of like ways to help change the system another big thing i'd say is actually sign petitions i feel mm. like a lot of the time there's all this sharing of petitions all these joining in of movements like i can't remember the exact statistics but there was a study that i read about how many people posted the black squares on their instagram versus how many people actually signed the petitions related to that which was absolutely shocking and just taking the time to realize like it takes a minute if that to sign the petitions and if they get enough signatures that's actually going to create change because then it has to take be taken to court legally right. um, and that's like a really easy way anyone can set up a petition anyone can create a campaign to get people to sign it um, and that's something that you can all do really easily every single day. You could sit at your laptop for five minutes after breakfast and be like, right, I'm going to find some environmental petitions or whatever. And even if there's not a petition set up for that, write to your local MP or write to an MP in another country and say, I think that this is wrong and this is how you could change it. And can we discuss this via a phone call or whatever? Mm -hmm. um, I guess like realizing that you can reach out to people even if you're seemingly oh I'm just a young girl from the UK like what can I do you can reach out to MPs in wherever you want and say can we have a phone call the worst thing they can say is no we can't right and the more that someone brings it up with them the more that they'll start thinking oh maybe this is something that I should listen to um and then I guess as well, like realizing our power as consumers, mm. um, not just in terms of like, okay, I'm only going to shop plastic free, but in terms of the actual businesses we're supporting and choosing to support, I guess the big thing at the moment has been the whole boycott Oatly story, which has been going around on social media, which is kind of like a, a whole massive discussion, which you could go into in loads of depth. Um, I obviously understand that here we are in the position to be able to boycott Oatly and choose other brands but then at the same time like if you're boycotting Oatly then I mean here one of the things loads of people buy is Linda McCartney sausages Linda McCartney is has unsustainable investors or even things down to PayPal which like pretty much everyone uses PayPal to send money abroad or pay for things mm -hmm. online PayPal's not ethical so it's kind of like drawing the line and knowing like everything you do in terms of like what bank you use, what transfer you're using, what brands you're supporting, that all has an impact as well. Yeah, that's a really good point because I think um, that's when it becomes a little overwhelming at first when you're just like in that space where you're like, my bank, my car, my groceries, like nothing is safe anymore. 
Um, But I think starting in one place, you know, and not trying to tackle it at all. And I'm saying that as someone who sometimes tries to tackle it all (laughs) at the same Mm -hmm. time. Um, But, you know, I really like what you said, like you could take five minutes and literally Google petitions that could be signed. So starting with one place on that list, I think that's such a good list, voting, petitions, calling your local government and being conscious consumers, I think Mm -hmm. is what you said. And that is such a good list to start with. Yeah. And that'll keep you busy right there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think as well, like remembering our power as individuals, I feel like in the society that we live in nowadays, it's so like numbers based and mm. power is kind of like almost put to followers or like your status. But like, if you think, if you live in a household with your parents and a sibling, like that's three people and then they probably go out and talk to their friends, which could be another 10 people. And like, maybe they go to work and tell their colleagues, like you could easily get to like a hundred people just by talking to people in your family. And I always like to think like, if you imagine standing in a room with like everyone you're connected to online, like say you're giving a talk to 200 people, you'd probably be quite nervous (laughs) about giving that talk. Like that's a massive impact that you have. And if they just shared, one of those people just shared it, that could double it to 400 people. And like really realizing that like everyone else, every one of us has the power to really make change. Yeah, that's such a beautiful message because I think that can get lost when we're overwhelmed and feel like, what can I really do? Mm. Um, so remembering that our individual choices can make a, a global impact yeah. if we're intentional with them mm-hmm. is a really beautiful message. It's a good reminder too, because it's just yeah. easy to feel lost sometimes. Like, what am I even really, how am I affecting change? Mm-hmm. I'm like, social media gets a lot of bad press, but it's, kind of beautiful that you can like connect to people anywhere across the world and like something that you may feel like really strongly in you talk to someone in another country like across the world and they're like that can't work (laughs) like you live in a bubble and then you're like oh okay I need to to know (laughs) yeah it's so powerful it's so amazing it's a crazy amazing tool to use and can also put forth an image that is damaging to some of those movements as well. So it's finding the accounts and people and conversations, you know, like what we're having that are just really authentic, you know, Mm -hmm. that I think are really important and at least what helped me in my growth. Clear your feed if something's like not serving you. Actually, I think it was in a meditation I was doing the other day and it was saying about how like, in society it's so accepted to like go through relationships like with a boyfriend or girlfriend and kind of the relationship will end and someone will accept that whereas if you're ending like a friendship whether that be like an personal online friendship like it's seen as really taboo and like oh my gosh like why would you cut that person off but just like remembering it's okay and if like you're seeing something on your feed that's bringing you down or not making you feel inspired then unfollow (laughs) make your feed like a happy inspiring place that's so funny that you bring that up because i record a solo a short solo episode every week as well and then 
and it comes out on Sunday and Sunday's episode was literally about stay away from the people online and that make you feel bad <laughs> that make you think they can solve all your problems but don't talk about their own journey because I think there's a lot of that too mm -hmm. like I have all the answers I am the guru and then but there's no real conversation about their own journey on how they got there I'm like, mm. no, don't, don't work with those people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I totally agree. I've been doing a lot of that lately. Like, oh yeah, I can just unfollow these people. That's okay. Mm -hmm. But you're right. It is not as accepted. That's fascinating. Um, <laughs> one other thing I wanted to touch on was that I guess I didn't realize until before was that you are the owner of this online marketplace. That's yeah. amazing. Can you tell me more about that? <laughs> yeah, so that was, I actually set that up during my undergraduate degree as well. Um, it was my final year whilst I was doing my dissertation. Um, and I came down one day and I was like, mom, dad, I'm going to set up a business. And they were like, oh God, like, can you just like finish your degree and like do your dissertation first? <laughs> I like, no, I can't, like, I can't do this degree and not like feel like I'm doing something else like mm. now to help um so I set up Zephyr Eco Market which basically has like more eco-friendly alternatives to mainstream products um and I also like support different charities every month so that there's like direct action going towards conservation or human rights as well as like individual consumer choices as well um and it's just like a part-time thing that I do alongside my wildlife filmmaking, but it's just kind of, I mean, we don't have, well, now we do, but when I set it up, like we didn't have like a shop that you could go to to just buy eco-friendly products. You'd have to like find really niche places and they'd all be like on different sites. So I just wanted like one place where I'd like do all the research and know that, okay, stuff on here is actually legitimately ethical yes. and vegan and palm oil free um because often like even when i'm looking for products and i'll say okay send me through your ingredients list and i would have said it's vegan or they would have said it doesn't contain palm oil but palm oil for, like, for example has over 200 different names i'm like actually it does contain palm oil it's just not listed as palm oil it's one of the other names and just like doing that research so that someone else doesn't have to do that every single time they want to make a more sustainable choice that's so beautiful to have more of those spaces popping up where people can trust that those products are good without feeling like, oh my gosh, I just want to buy a toothbrush, but I'm trying to be more conscious and I now I'm going to have to research all these different places. <laughs> but that's the, the thing that it takes away is that you don't have to do that work um, yeah. if there's a site like that. Can you talk a little bit uh, or briefly about palm oil? Because I haven't had that conversation with anyone on the podcast yet. And I think it's a really important one that I'm surprised doesn't get as much um, mainstream conversation. Mm -hmm. I think because it came up like 10 or so years ago and now often people are like, oh, that's been done. Oh, I know about that. Mm -hmm. um, but people often don't know about that. And, you know, palm oil is a really difficult topic because if you're just purely looking at like yield for yield of palm oil versus another oil, like palm oil actually uses a lot less land and a lot less water to produce, mm. but it has to grow in peatlands, which 
mean destroying the rainforest and it comes with massive human rights issues as well which is what my film in Sumatra would be focused on like the human rights issues associated with um palm oil plantation workers like one of the women I'm speaking to out in Sumatra was earning like five dollars a month for working on a palm oil plantation like slaving away every single day to produce palm oil and it's in everything now like food makeup the petrol you're putting in your car the oil used to produce your clothes like everything now uses palm oil and aside from the oil and the deforestation because it's in peatlands which are these like carbon rich rainforests and basically in lots of carbon is stored in the peat which is underground mm-hmm. when they remove the trees that's obviously removing the carbon sink that would be otherwise taking the carbon out of the atmosphere but they then also burn the land it's called like a carbon bomb where basically like all of this carbon that's stored in the peat is then released and you can see it like when they're burning there's just massive clouds of carbon being released so wow. it's not just the impact of trees being cut down but it's also what you're then releasing from the ground that's been stored in these beautiful rainforests that are found nowhere else on earth wow um, so it's kind of a really complex topic which feel needs to be like brought up again and talked about more yeah and i think the that description uh, was probably the easiest to understand that i've ever heard <laughs> uh which was really helpful for me <laughs> But also, I think the thing I'm surprised doesn't get more attention, which the way you said it makes a lot of sense, is when it became popular, we weren't having this kind of public conscious conversation. It was more of kind of an offshoot. But the animals that get displaced because of these things, or, Mm -hmm. you know, you see the pictures of, I think it's orangutans Mm -hmm. that are like burned and scalded from the burning of these rainforests. And um, I'm always surprised that that's not shared more. Cause I mean, talk about a way to get some to someone's heartstrings. Um, yeah. And I, I see it because I think I'm really intentional, like more and more with like what I'm seeing or who I'm following. Mm-hmm. But in terms of some of the other more global conversations, I mean, gosh, those pictures alone. Yeah. And orangutans have kind of been like the token species for palm oil, but you know, there are hundreds of different animals that live in these rainforests. There's elephants, there's tigers, there's rhinos. And I feel like that whole topic's really just not been delved into. And like the wildlife and the diversity in these forests is incredible. Mm. Obviously, orangutans are really like iconic and we relate to them much easier because we're right. apes and they're apes for conservation terms, which is like a whole other story about the marketing of conservation and mm. signs of cute, but they oh, work wow. well. Did you say the science of cute? Yeah. <laughs> oh, interesting. I've never heard that. Basically cute animals sell and they're like conservation favorites. So if you want to save Borneo, you'll talk about the orangutan or if you're talking about wildlife in China, it's the panda. Whereas mm. like, if I was talking to you about like some frog that was a centimeter big in the rainforest of Borneo, people tend to not care as much. Oh, that's so interesting, but so true. Mm. And even just what you were saying, like 
all I could think of, even though I know more things live in the rainforest and I have some knowledge on this topic, my first thing was like the orangutans. Mm -hmm. So like even someone who, you know, I, I like to think of myself on that journey to consciousness and, <laughs> and growing and learning, like I couldn't have named a lot of other species that are upset by the palm oil industry just because it's just not the same kind of conversation. Mm. So interesting. Thank you for that. Cause that was super helpful for me. I think I can better explain it to others now. <laughs> um, just being conscious of your time, speaking of consciousness, um, before we kind of wrap up, I'm just curious with all the work you do, which all sounds really amazing and inspiring, but it also sounds really taxing because you're learning a lot about what's going wrong, right? And like doing all this work because of all these issues. So what do you do to kind of slow down and take care of yourself? Um, well, kind of like alongside all of my science, I've always done dance. Um, and I've kind of moved a bit away from dance now and do more like training in terms of like gym training or HIIT, um, but also yoga and meditation and journaling and eating clean food and drinking lots of water, you know, all of the stuff that people always tell you to do actually does make a difference. And yes. I feel like I kind of, my morning routine kind of, whenever it gets thrown off, I feel completely different as a person. Um, and I think just having those healthy habits, like help to keep your mind healthier as well. And like, if you're in a good space where, you know, you've woken up, with natural light and you've gone for a walk and you've drunk your water and you've just like taken the time to like have a slow morning like we actually would how we evolved to be as humans um if then when you finally sit down to check your emails or you check the news and you see something oh my god that's horrible you're in a more of a state where you can emotionally deal with that and process those emotions better and yes. i think like emotional intelligence really helps you then deal with like everything that's going on in the world as well and knowing that like it's okay to be sad it's okay to be angry about what's happening because it's shit oh for it that is the least of my worries <laughs> absolutely because it's the truth <laughs> yeah and like I feel often we're taught you know you can't be sad because there's someone else in a worse position you know they've lost someone they loved or whatever but we play that like oppression olympics yeah or you can't be angry because angry is like this evil emotion that we feel that's like yes. so much negativity onto it but learning that like it's okay it's just how you express that or how you deal with it that problems can occur and yeah, I mean, we're living in a world where it's hard and we're hearing hard and horrible stuff all the time. And mm -hmm. if you aren't in a place where you can deal with that, it's going to affect you. So just like taking the time to like work on yourself as much as you're working to fight for a better cause. That's a really good, good message for all of <laughs> us, especially activists to remember is there anything that you want to share that I haven't asked you or haven't given you space to share? I don't think so. I think you've done a good job. <laughs> awesome. I will put all the links to where um, some of the things we talked about in the show notes, but where would you prefer to have people reach out to you if they want to reach out to you after this? Yeah, if you want to reach out to me, um, my Instagram is Roxy the Zoologist. That's probably 
the best place to find me, the place I'll be most likely to see it and respond. Perfect. And feel free to ask any questions. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much again for joining me today, making it work with time zones and schedules and everything else. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It was lovely to talk to you. Yeah, it was really lovely to talk to you too. I've followed you for a while and really appreciate um, the conversations that you have and what you use social media for. So thank you for that inspiration. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening to another episode of Consciously Clueless. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe to wherever you are listening. And if you want to help me make sure that this podcast can get into the ears of other listeners, share it with whoever you can. Send it to a friend or to a family member, share it on social media, whatever works for you, I would really appreciate it. And if you want to be read as the review of the week on one week's solo episode, please go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, and you could hear it next week on the solo episode. Until next time.